this morning we have River City collectively over the years. It's, it's very interesting, even from the beginning when I hear stories the first two or three years. Spoken word and performance has always been part of our DNA. And we have been blessed over the years to have some really outstanding people, uh, including our own Jasmine, who is touring the world right now with her poetry as part of a collective. We have always had the blessing to have really creative and performance individuals that come through our community that don't mind sharing their gift with us. And we love them for that, and we love the fact that they feel safe and supported in this community. This morning, we have with us our blessed sister, Suni Patterson. Suni, if you remember, was here with us last year. If you don't, Suni is a world-renowned poet from Louisiana. She has been called, she is a mom, she is a teacher, she is an activist, she is a culture warrior, she is a princess that we love from down in Louisiana. Um, the first thing that comes to mind. This is for those who work 25 hours a day for 24 cents an hour. It is for those who trod the streets stress heavy, their feet strapped with anguish, backs bent with burden. It's for those who live between the lines of fear and confusion. It's for those whose eyes have witnessed a sunrise and they still question the awesome power of a supreme being. It's for those against the wall, or in the dust, or behind the bars, or on the other side of the barrel. It's for those who do not see God in the mirror, or a tree, a blade of grass, a homeless man, a crescent moon, a drop of dew, a ray of sun, or a purple sky. It is for those who have given up on life and just wonder how they are still allowed to open their eyes real wide in the morning. And I say to you, it is not yet time to die. For seekers of a better way, for speakers of new words, for creators of another day, awake from your slumber, massive in number, as brave as thunder, as courageous as hope, as audacious as faith, I see heaven in your face. How does it feel just knowing that wherever you go, the holiest of holies is present in the form of you? So this is for you. It's for your worth. It's nothing less than divine. I'm saying this for all of those who survive, who get up, who scream, even when the takers try and zap their dreams, who shout no, who cry yes, who feel the glory of victory boiling in their chest. It's for the lovers of love, for thinkers of peace, for workers of justice, field hands of freedom, whose voices ring high when vibrations are low. It's for the tillers of the earth and the seeds they sow grow big, grow long, grow up and grow high. Rise and take your stance, because it is not yet time to die. All right, family. Look, it's nothing like River City to put you on the spot, Lord. We love it. <laughs> Daniel, first off, Daniel is going to get you here in record time, because everyone knows Daniel drives like I, I was going to say something else, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> But we know, and then he, t he asked me when he parked, when he threw us in the, 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 the parking spot, he said, um, was that a little better? Did I, did I, you know, slow down just a bit? I said, of course, no. But that says something. When we're talking about a person who um, has the, the character and the charisma and the love that comes with, uh, having to, I don't want to just say birth something, but 
what it means to sustain something for, for 20 years. The wonder that comes with this kind of work. Sometimes you gotta move fast, <laughs> right? There's a proverb that says, if you wanna go far, uh, if you wanna go fast, go alone, but if you wanna go far, go together. But the reality is that sometimes we just gotta go fast, cause trying to gather a whole bunch of people is like, Lord, are, we, are you coming or not? So we're grateful that there are people here who also go fast and go far. So we're grateful that, you, you know, he, he, he got me here in one piece, yet again. So, so, so again, we're back to this aspect of honoring, back to this aspect of being reminded that um, through Mick, through Nehemiah, through Liz, and through Lenora, uh, we are being reminded of the constant and consistent rebirth. We're being reminded of the constant and consistent rebirth that comes also through this aspect of forgiveness. We look at this thing of forgiveness, there's a definition that I will always use. It says that forgiveness means that I am forgiving up an old notion of myself in order to gain a new perspective. So when I think about this aspect and I go back to this aspect of birth, I think about how we have to rebirth ourselves again and again and again and again and again, which is also, I'm forgiving myself again and again and again and again and again for any, any, any shortcoming that I may feel I have, any shortcoming that I may feel somebody else has, because we can always point out somebody else's shortcoming. That'd be, that's the easy part. Girl, look at what's going on here. Look at this. Look, we can always do that, right? But the wonder of this aspect of rebirth through these reminders of celebration is that this wonder of forgiveness, this wonder of what it means to sustain a place for 20 years, it means that we are constantly in the space of rebirthing ourselves. We're constantly in the space of forgiving ourselves and forgiving one another and looking to one another and saying, oh my gosh, happy birthday, even when it ain't your birthday. Happy birthday to you. The fact that you got up this morning, happy birthday to you. The fact that you are in here, sitting in here, listening and being and experiencing and, and expanding your hearts and expanding minds. If that's not a rebirth and a gift, I don't know what is. So I'm grateful for being here. I'm going back to New Orleans tomorrow, but I could not be here without seeing you and without seeing my good brother Daniel. Thank you for welcoming me in the best way to come in again to the reminder that nothing compares to the promise. And I will carry this throughout my day and where it is that I have to go and carry it back to New Orleans to remind others that nothing compares. Nothing, nothing, nothing compares to the promise. Thank you. to have you here. Thank you. Can we thank her again for just being, what a, to do all that on the spot. We've got, we've got, our friendship has kind of a fun origin story. We actually met through Dr. King's daughter, who is the one who introduced us together. And never forget Dr. Bernice saying, if there's any poet, any artist I can listen to, it's always going to be Sonny Patterson. That is my favorite artist. And what a gift to have a friend in New Orleans who every time she's in Chicago, she makes her way over here over the years. And um, it's just such a tremendous gift. So thankful for her. Ask her if she can come up one more time at the end. So we get to hear her one more time to kind of close us out, which I'm grateful for. All right. Well, um, feels like we've been building up to this for a while now. This feels like a significant time. We're in the second Sunday of August here. 
But quickly moving towards our 20th anniversary, the technical anniversary when we had our first Sunday service was the Sunday after Labor Day in 2003. So the second Sunday of September is always the birthday. 20 feels like a big one, right? 20 feels like a big one. And uh, as we've been kind of sitting this for a while now, um, uh, I feel like we're like holding two very different energies as we approach this. And, And one of the things I think we often do, hopefully well at River City, is when there's, it feels like there's things that are like, contested with each other just to name them and understand them is good. So here's here's one kind of energy we have coming into this, especially for those who have been around here for a while, which is not a ton, but for those who have been here for a long, long time, this 20th anniversary feels like a big deal because as Sonny so beautifully said, man, 20, 20 years is a long time to be in one place, <laughs> right? We have a lot of stories, a lot of scars, a lot of beautiful things, a lot of in-between and so for some, there's an energy around like 20 is a big deal. We have like really need to acknowledge that, commemorate that, remember that. Um, I was thinking this week, you know, one of, the, one of the stories that like jumped out as I was reflecting on this, when we started, it was the beginning of 2003 that I started kind of being here. One of the things that a mentor wisely told me to do said, before you ever have your first service, in fact, before you even start, you should meet with all the, as many pastors you can for sure, the gatekeeper pastors, the one who kind of, you know, run the clergy meetings and are seen as kind of key faith leaders, but meet, meet with as many of them as you can. Share who you are, share what you're hoping for, and then just ask them if they think you should be here or not. <laughs> Which is a little bit of a scary exercise, right? Because you wonder how many knows at some point you go, oh, man, maybe this is the wrong thing. But uh, fortunately, nobody said no, and people were very great. The pastors were very great. She probably met with eight, nine, ten pastors, including all the gatekeeper ones. That was very formative. But I was thinking about it going into this. Not one of them is here anymore in Humble Park. Not one single one is here anymore in Humble Park. Most of them aren't even in ministry anymore. A couple of them are, but um, not in pastoral kind of roles. But not one of those, from 20 plus years ago when we started, all the ones who were kind of gatekeepers here at the time, all the ones who were upstarts, all the, not one of them is here anymore. Which uh, it's not, I mean, just to simply say, 20 years is a long time, right? And uh, it was kind of sobering to think about that. So anyway, I don't, I don't want to be grim on that, the glum on that. The, the, what I'm trying to say is like, there's one energy which is like, let's remember, 20 years we've been doing this, 20 years of stories, 20 years of relationships, 20 years of ways we've been formed by each other, right? So that's kind of one energy, right? And then the other energy, I feel like uh, Benjamin uh, represented this well earlier this week when I was talking, with, talking about the 20 years, and he said, hey, not to like, not to be a downer at all, but uh, here's just a reminder, probably for about 75% of us, we've been here for like three years or less, and so... While we're really excited for all you OGs who have all these memories of the early days of River City, kind of for a lot of us, it's going to be like, uh, cool, (laughs) I guess. Uh, But like, now what, (laughs) right? What is God doing now? I'm like, thanks, Killjoy. (laughs) That's really inspiring. Um, But I actually do feel that as well. Like, there's a a reality here, too. I think if (laughs) you ever meet that person who's like the high school quarterback in high school, and now they're like 45, and they're still talking about the glory years when they were 17 and threw that touchdown pass, right? It's a, I, I, I feel like there's probably a risk for those of you who are newer that we're talking so much about the olden days. It's kind of like, good, it sounds wonderful, sounds hard, great for you. you know, so bottom line, we want, we want to, as we kind of go into this, and we're going to be doing this now for the Sundays leading up to this and through September, we want to be able to hold both of those together. And I think they're both important, right, for those who have been around a long time, it's important not only for them, for all of you, right, to realize there's like a lot of chapters and a lot of subchapters to this story, and it feels important for all of us to remember these and celebrate these and see the way that it's been part of informing who we are and who we become, right? That's important. But also those of you who are newer and ready to jump into the river where it's at right now, that's also an energy that's important and feels uh, 
like it needs to be part of things too because that should be something that invigorates all of us, right? So I just want to name that. I feel both of those that I have conversations with folks and I want to bring both of those into this. So that's what I'm begin trying to do today. I'm going to go a little bit story heavy on this first week and kind of make my way to the passage. Um, uh, as I was thinking of some of, I mean, there's a thousand things we can say from these past 20 years, but if I can tell just a little bit of my story and I, I have trouble remembering if I've ever shared this or not. It's been a long time if I did. Um, where some of the relevant parts feel like it begins for me. So when I was in my 20s, I worked at a church called Willow Creek. It was in the suburbs of Chicago here. Um, It was kind of an interesting time there. At the time, most people who studied churches said that Willow Creek might be the largest Protestant church in the whole country. So just a very different experience being a small neighborhood church versus being in the largest suburban megachurch in the country. So that's where kind of I cut my teeth as a minister. That's where I cut my teeth kind of learning pastoral stuff. I was there for all my 20s, essentially. Um, and so I had, I've only had a handful of these over the course of my life, a handful of, I don't know what else come other than just kind of encounters with God, encounters with God where I feel like God spoke to me in a really clear way, formed me in a certain kind of way, positioned me in a certain kind of a way. And so I had an encounter there in my like mid to late 20s that actually resembled closely the encounter that's in all four gospel accounts. It's often referred to as the rich young ruler. And I'm not going to go through that uh, right now, other than just kind of drawing out a couple of large themes. But that story became formative for putting language around what I felt like God was saying to me. So in the, here's the fast version of the story, if you don't remember it. In the story of the rich young ruler, you get this young guy who finds Jesus, and he approaches Jesus, and it's everything about him seems sincere and devout. Uh, he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I have loved God since I was a boy. I have cared deeply about God since a boy. I have obeyed the commandments as best as I can, um, and I'm hungry for even more. What more can I do? So it doesn't appear that he's in any way trying to trick Jesus or do an end game or something. He seems to be sincere and to be hungry. So Jesus meets him in that place, invites him in, and then famously what Jesus says to him, it says, great, you've, you've been doing these things, you've been following me, you've been keeping these commands, so I just have one more thing to invite you to do. Sell all of your possessions, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Right? And it's hard to know what all went through that guy's mind in that moment, but when he heard the invitation from Jesus to give of his money, to sell his possessions, to have his life immersed and enmeshed with the poor, there was just something about it that felt too far reaching for him. Right? Despite the fact that I think he sincerely did want to follow Jesus, um, though I think he was sincere that he did love God, though I think he was sincere that there were certain kind of commands that he had gravitated towards, certain kind of ethical guidelines he was keeping seriously. When it came to this invitation, that's what it was. I don't even think it was a command. It was an invitation to come be with Jesus fully. But this idea of selling what he had, giving it all to the poor, was too much for him. And this young guy, despite loving God, keeping commands, being sincere, walks away sad. That's how the story ends, is he walks away sad. It's like he wanted it, but it was like too much for him to do. So here's how that became so formative for me. I was working and enjoying myself, actually, at this giant suburban megachurch, but I felt God say, you are a rich young ruler, and this is where you are now at at your faith development as well. There's certain rules, certain ethical guidelines, certain Christian principles you have very clearly committed yourself to, and this church has very clearly committed yourself, but like, that's not the end game anymore. What I'm inviting you to now, I want you to, I want you to, not even as a command, I want you to voluntarily choose to relinquish all of your possessions, all that gives you a sense of control and meaning in the world. I want you to cast your lot with the poor, and I want you to trust 
that there you will find me in a new kind of a way. And I kept coming back to the story of the rich young ruler so many times because, again, I try to imagine what was going on in his mind as Jesus is invited to this. What, you know, what was he afraid of? Was it the money that he was afraid of losing? Was it the giving up control? Was it the being in an environment that he didn't understand? Was it that he had become comfortable in this version of his Christianity that he was scared of what would happen? I don't know, but I kept coming back to his story and saying he wanted Jesus but was too scared to do it and ultimately walked away sad. And I realized I'm rich and ruler. I honestly felt like most everybody in this church is probably rich and ruler. This is, this is, this is the thing that, that is put before us. And so that was really formative for me, not only because it eventually led to me leaving there, but it, it formed a deep understanding of Christianity in me. See, when Jesus, when Jesus invites this rich young ruler to give up his money and follow Jesus, um, there's a couple things that I think are really important that Jesus is saying. For one, I think what Jesus is saying, we can, we can all deduce this together. Jesus is saying, if you truly say you're serious about loving God and loving neighbor, there will never be a version of that that does not include a full and deep concern to be with those who represent the margins who are up against the wall in so many ways, right? There's just, I believe it's not, there's just never going to be a version of Christianity that doesn't include that. And that's a pretty important discipleship and spiritual form of thing, especially for those who are starting to get a little bit of money, right? To like, Hold that in one hand, but also remember that this is who Jesus is. This is how he talks. But here's the other thing that became so central to even how we thought about River City. Um, I don't, and I, you hear me saying I, I, it was the word of an invitation, not a command. I still, every time I go back to the story, I do not think that was a command. I think that was an invitation. Here's why. I think what I realized about Jesus, and I'm embarrassed to say it wasn't until my 20s that I learned this. What I realized about Jesus is that Jesus never lives on the rich side of town. If you want to go to where Jesus lives, if you want to be near Jesus, Jesus never lives on the rich side of town. Right now, that doesn't mean he doesn't care about people with money. In fact, that's one of the things I think is most important about this parable or about this actual real life story is it specifies that Jesus loved this man. He invited him into this out of love. But what, what became so real for me is that Jesus doesn't live on the rich side of town. Jesus always lives, as Sonny said today, as Howard, Howard Thurman so poetically put it, that the center always has to be those whose backs are up against the that this is where Jesus lives. This is where this is where his presence is at. And so, you know, for some, that's already where they live. And so there's going to be, uh, there's, I, I really do think there's a kind of an access that comes with living there. But for those who are more rich young ruler types, this is, this is one of the critical discipleship dimensions is how do I position myself to be near where Jesus lives? All right, so that was big for me. Now that starts to get into where this became big for River City. So I won't go into the whole story of how I ended up in Humble Park here. Chicago nerds, let's, let, let, let's remember this. Technically speaking, how many neighborhoods? You know, we know there's like sub-neighborhoods that don't go by the technical names. But technically speaking, how many neighborhoods in the city of Chicago? 77, yeah. That's, that's the downside of inviting you to share is it sounds really bad when you get it wrong. So sorry, didn't mean, didn't mean to put anybody on blast. Uh, 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 77 neighborhoods. So there's a, there's a little trivia for today. 77 neighborhoods, technically, according to um, how the city's organized. So Humble Park is just one of 77 neighborhoods. Humble Park, like many areas, have multiple micro-neighborhoods even within it. The whole story of how I ended up here, I'm not going to get into that because it would just take too much time, even though it's an interesting story for me with lots of little kind of interesting God kind of pieces. Um, let's just fast forward. This is where we ended up, right? So that was 2003. I've uh, told you about kind of meeting with these pastors, ended up living here. Um, instead, what I like to focus on, this is, remember, I'm saying there's energy here of people who've been around a long time. You know all these things. There's energy. Some of you, this is your like first Sunday and you're like stepping in as we're heading into our 20th anniversary. Uh, um, 
here's some of the things that have been true about Humble Park ever since I've been here that I think are so largely true that make it such a fascinating neighborhood. In fact, I'd go so far to say Humble Park is way different than the other 76 neighborhoods. I mean, every neighborhood has its own character. But Humble Park is really different for some reasons, especially racial and socioeconomic reasons, right? So here's three things that I think make Humble Park a really interesting neighborhood. So for one, um, it is actually still pretty rare in the city of Chicago, in the 77 neighborhoods, that you get large groups of African-American and Latin American living in the same neighborhood, right? It's not uncommon that you've got a black neighborhood and a Hispanic neighborhood that come up next to each other, um, but it is uncommon to have large groups of both uh, in the same neighborhood. And if it does happen, it's usually just for a short period of time while it's transitioning. But when we started in, in 03, I don't actually know what the exact percentage is now. In 03, the census data said Humble Park was 44% black, 43% Hispanic, 17% other. That's just a really unique dynamic of Humble Park. Um, and one of the reasons I mentioned that this is actually, there, here's something that's true to this day, 2023, 20 years later. When I go to clergy meetings or when I go to community, like, nonprofit or, you know, people who are doing neighborhood stuff, it is still to this day, it's either going to be all black or all Hispanic. Uh, even to this day, you do not go to clergy stuff that is mixed, particularly along those two particular lines, and there's still not a lot of white nation pastors here in Humble Park, so it's generally either, you know, um, Hispanic or African-American. So that's an interesting thing about this neighborhood is that for a while now you get those two groups who are living here and kind of sorting out life together, right? That's one thing on the racial, socioeconomic. Another thing, even within the Hispanic community, Humble Park is very unique, right? Because Humble Park of the 77 neighborhoods is the cultural heart of the Puerto Rican community, right? As evidenced by Paseo Bariqua and the like strip there on division, right? I mean, this was, there, there were other neighborhoods that used to be the cultural heart of the Puerto Rican community, most notably Lincoln Park and kept getting moved. But in the 60s, the, the Puerto Rican community really kind of put their roots down and claimed Humble Park. And the, so there's a rich, rich history from the 60s on of the Puerto Rican presence here in Humble Park, right? Which is an important dynamic just by itself. But then there is a growing, a fast growing number from all different Central American, South American countries, Mexico, of a much, a much broader and richer kind of representation of the Latino community, which has always been part of the dynamics of Humble Park ever since I have been here. And then thirdly, it was it was not quite gentrifying yet in 2003, um, but it happened quickly. I don't know, maybe I'm part to blame. I remember Liz and I were the only white people who lived on our section of East Humble Park when we first moved there. And uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just having memories. I remember, the, remember one of the neighbors saying, uh-oh, you guys jog a lot and walk your dog. <laughs> Gringos are coming. <laughs> it's, a, it's like, really? I guess that's true. Uh, um, uh, uh, but there's, there's been this dynamic that ever since then of gentrification, which is a really big and fierce and multifaceted kind of a thing. Um, but then that led to not only you have these historic groups here, but now you have a growing, for sure, white population. You've got some Asian folks now in Humble Park that have been gentrifying. And so that creates this kind of cauldron of really intense socioeconomic, power, economic, access kinds of things, all kind of stories that can be told about that, right? Here's why I share all that. I, I knew I needed to be, and eventually this is where a church would be, I knew I, need, I wanted to be in a neighborhood where all the things that the kingdom of God needs to address were already happening, right? And they were all the things as reconcilers, as neighbor development that we care about, they were all fully happening. And so many stories that feel formative around that. Um, but, but here's, is I'm kind of making my way to what I want to kind of do throughout the course of the series. Um, here's where... Uh, over the years, the, the, here's some of the ways that that came to surface. Okay, 
So we had all these different groups, racially, culturally, all these different groups, socioeconomically, really the entire spectrum is in Humble Park, um, culturally, some of the differences. So as a church, we, of course, wanted to be a place that was wel- not only welcoming, but in- actively invited the whole spectrum of people. <laughs> Remember, we had a volunteer consultant working with us in the first year, and she said, you know, she was running through the exercises that businesses do when they're starting. She said, okay, who's the target market of this church? Sorry, it's a little bit crass, but that's how, that's how who's the target market of the church? It was like, the people who live here. So, okay, who, t- tell me culturally, who are the people who live here? And then just describe all that. And like, well, which one is the church going to try to reach? It's like, all of them. <laughs> no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't try to reach all those different kind of people. That doesn't work. No, that's, you know, we, we were serious. You know, Jesus, when he flips over the tables um, on, Paso- in, on the week of Passover, Jesus says, my, my, my house is supposed to be a, 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 ho- a, a house of prayer for all the nations, right, for all the people. This is something... We, we took seriously. We wanted to have all people here. We wanted to preach and teach and disciple and do trainings in such a way that brought to light the different kind of issues that come with sharing space and cross-cultural dynamics and racial and gender power, all these kinds of things. Uh, but as we got in in the first early years, here, here's, here's one of the things, if I can come back to this kind of rich young ruler motif, Here's one of the things that started to really become apparent for us. Even in our little neighborhood of Humble Park, which actually is not really that little of a neighborhood, uh, it was 65,000 people at the, at the time, Humble Park has a lot of different sub kind of neighborhoods to it. And we were on the eastern end, and that was the part that was gentrifying the fastest. And so what we realized is that, um, just in the same way I shared that in my own life, just coming to this realization that Jesus... Like where people's are, where people's backs are up against the wall the most is always going to be where Jesus lives. We, we realized even within our neighborhood there was a spectrum of places that we could be located, and where we were currently located in the early years was much more hospitable and friendly for the kind of rich young ruler type, if I can use that. So we've always, since day one, we've always had kind of young, diverse kind of crowds of upwardly mobile people who were interested in the vision of River City. I'm going to date myself with this one because younger people would never even have heard of this show. But when we started River City, MTV had a popular show called The Real World. I'm sure if you're under 30, you never heard of that, right? But anybody older than that probably heard. So this was our reputation across the city. Everybody called River City the church version of the real world. All the young, diverse people that would come together around this vision of stuff usually end up hooking up and breaking up, and that would be what affected if we were growing or shrinking. But anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, uh, um, so we had always drawn kind of people, who, you know, some of them are, lived in Humble Park, but, you know, draw the Wicker Park crowd, the Bucktown crowd, the Logan Square crowd, even as you know, Far East is, Lakeview and Lincoln Park crowd. Like, we've always drawn people that were drawn to this vision that will always be part of who we are. And they felt really comfortable when we were on the eastern ed, edge of Humble Park. But if we ask the question, where in Humble Park, uh, you know, are things the most intense? Where, where do people have their backs up against the wall the most? We knew, so you're right, there, if you don't know Humble Park, there's a physical park, there's the East Park, there's the West Park, same neighborhood, technically, very different world on the ground. We really felt God drawing us to put our roots down. If you were around, you knew our, the language we use is we were looking for the most intense intersection of race and poverty. We knew our roots needed to be planted in the most intense section of race and poverty. And that's what really drew us to this section. We were committed to Cameron Elementary across the street. We were kind of led to this place. And that feels like a big part. If you don't know that part of our story, it feels like an important part of our story because that, it didn't totally change us, but it kind of changed us. Um, because the, the meeting before was kind of friendlier for the Bucktown Humble Park, or, 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 
safety anymore and so that became a big move for us but you know, this is my language for it. and i didn't actually ever use this and from the pulpit river city but in my language i continue to think of that through the lens of the rich young ruler because um, for me here's how that worked out we even as a communal presence if we're if we're picking which group should have an easier time to get here and which time which group should have to sacrifice a little bit more to get here we want it to be the easiest for those who already have their backs against the wall oftentimes and the ones we want to sacrifice a little bit more are those who like the rich young ruler, know that Jesus is calling them to be near the work of Jesus in this kind of a way. And so that was 2014 that we moved into this space. And so what was the math in that? Nine years. So 11 years, we're kind of floating around on East Humboldt, had roots at Cameron much sooner than that, born physically here. So nine years, almost half and half, not quite. So 11 years, East Humboldt Park, nine years we've been in this building. So now I'm, I'm moving towards kind of the end here is I think about balancing these energies. Uh, remembering 20 years that have led us to this point, remembering that God is still moving, calling us into new things. Where, where I start going with this is saying, all right, we had 11 years in East Humboldt, nine years now that we've been here. We've changed a lot. In, I think almost all good ways. We have changed a lot in the nine years that we've been here. Now, our three pillars, I, I'd, I'd shout this one out too, who knows our three pillars, but I'm scared too many people get it wrong. So let me just, uh, <laughs> let me just, so the three pillars we've always organized around are worship, right? Kind of this notion that, the God of all creation has created us in God's image. Sunday did such a beautiful job speaking to that through her spoken word poem, reminding us that we are God's masterpiece and represent God, right? This is all wrapped up in worship, that we're creating God's image and we, we're all going to do best when we're in this vital, vibrant union with God. Uh, reconciliation, our second pillar, that this kind of big lofty idea that the Jesus who's over all things is reconciling all things to himself and that those things that are in greatest disrepair are the things that Jesus has most clearly attended to. Those two pillars really dominated the early years. We always had the third pillar of neighborhood development, but there's just a reality. Neighborhood development, and especially for us, like that's that means hyper-local when we're talking about neighborhood development. That means, again, everybody's welcome into this. That's the, that's the, the work of Jesus needed even, but this hyper-localized expression of knowing a neighborhood, hearing a neighborhood, building trusted relationships with a neighborhood, this probably goes without saying, but it needs to be said. It takes a long time <laughs> to build out a neighborhood development pillar, right? You can go so far to say as you'd be, we, let me say, I, I would be ignorant and irresponsible to try to go too deep in neighborhood development too quickly when you're not known, trusted, when you don't know and, and can't hear the rhythms and the voices and the concerns and the everyday lived realities of people. So for 11 years before being here, we cared about neighborhood development. We participated as things made sense, as people invited us into it. But these last nine years have been particularly important for the neighborhood development side of our church because we're, we're all the way here on 3709 Grand Avenue, right? The, the relationships have gone deeper and deeper, and there's the Our City part of the story that formed the next year, and that's been such a key gateway for bringing in kids, youth, families, their voices becoming so instrumental. So here's one of the ways I would describe what's happened over the last nine years, and then one of the ways I would describe where we're going now. I would say over the last nine years, there has been this beautiful development and growth of two different bodies of people who are kind of intertwined, but also kind of growing up next to each other. There's our church community, which is, you know, turning 20 now, and all the different stories and diverse experiences of that. And then there's our neighborhood community, which 
was kind of part of our church before, but over the last nine years, it's become more and more so. And certainly there's already plenty of intersection here. But if you're around here, you, you know, in past we've even talked in terms of like, there's our Sunday congregation and our Monday through Friday congregation. That's what it sometimes feels like, that there's one group who's in here a lot during the week that's from the neighborhood. There's a group in here on Sunday that some of those are here, but, you know, they're still growing up next to each other. And these last nine years have been beautiful to kind of watch these grow together. And one of the things that we so clearly feel God calling us to in this next chapter is that we don't want these to be two parallel congregations. We don't want these to be two things that are growing next to each other. We believe God has called us to be increasingly interwoven together that the rich young rulers were called because this is an essential part of their faith development, that for the people who just discovered there's a church here one day, right, and have started interacting with it um, uh, in, in the relationships that have been built over the last decade, we're growing together. And as I start to think of not only the 20 years where we've come, but now where we're going next, often when you talk about stuff like this, it's very theoretical and abstract. At this point in our development, I love that this is like lined up. It wasn't on purpose to line this up with the anniversary. It's just the way it's happened. But we have got such a concrete example of this that's going to be coming up in these next few months, um, something that's going to concretely represent the coming together of these two communities. And you probably can follow if you've been around here. But you know, you know what that concrete example of that is? It's the lot next door. It's the property next door. Let me show you Let me show you. If, uh, let me, uh, Sergio, if you'd bring up the very first picture here. Um, so again, we, we moved into this space in 2014. So let's take like a bird's eye view of this. So there's Grand Avenue right here. So there's our church. And if you don't know that part of the story, that's, actually, that's a cool thing. We got an enormous grant from ComEd to put solar panels across the entire roof of the River City building, which brought us close to being a net zero environmental impact space, which we're like really excited about. Right, right, when, when we felt God kind of leading us into this building, it's kind of the permanent home across the street from Cameron here, always there was such an intrigue with that lot right next door, right? It was a used car lot. Um, it was owned by Jimmy, our neighbor on the other side, who also opens or owns Jordan's Auto Repair. So we barely were able to raise enough money to build out our building. But from day one, it felt like God put in all of our collective imagination. Someday, that lot next door is going to be it's not going to be about anything about River City Church. It's, it's going to represent, like right now, what it represents is a bunch of old cars sitting there with a locked gate. We believe someday that's going to represent the picture of the whole community coming together in a meaningful, life-giving, authentic, vibrant way. And so even back, I mean, this would have been as early as 2010 when we were starting to build out the building. We dreamed, like, what if someday that was the visualization of what we believe God has always called us to be in a church, but which we're still kind of stumbling our way towards. So much so, I didn't get the picture, but I'll show this next week. So much so, like, so if you're in the room right now, or virtually, you can just attract me. But if you're in the room right now, if you, you know, the lot is right behind us, um, the design build firm who helped us build this out, they said, if you really think someday that's going to be part of the larger thing you guys are part of, you should build in a door in the back wall right now, and then we'll drywall over it. But so that someday when that thing can open up, you can just pop out the drywall. Like we, we were thinking that and dreaming that's from 2010. And so here, here's a more recent part of the timeline that feels really important and really exciting. So I'm not sure we would have ever gotten to a point that we felt like we could afford that, but um, three years ago or so, 2020, late 2019, uh, 2020. When did the pandemic start? Was that 2019? Was that March of 2019? That was 2020. Okay. So pandemic starts like right March 2020 or so, just a few months after that. So Jimmy, who owned that lot at the time, and those of you who are around will remember this, Jimmy who owned that lot, who also owns Jimmy's auto, uh, Jordan Auto Repair on the other side of the building. 
Jimmy said, I'm getting ready to retire. I've got some pretty significant health concerns. I'm going to cash out. I'm going to sell my properties. I'm going to move kind of home. Um, and so the time has come where I need to sell this lot. And so he said, so I hate to put this kind of pressure on you, he said, but my preference would be that River City would be the ones to buy this lot and you guys could continue the good work. Our city, River City, could continue the good work you're doing. He said, if you guys can't do it, I have a developer who wants to build a five-level condo on that lot. All right, so like very stark differences between that being a space that can be the extension, the expression of all of us being community together versus condo. And so... I mean, that was a terrifying time in the middle of COVID. We weren't even sure we were going to survive during all that, all of us, right? So the idea of rallying together to buy that lot seemed uh, like such a stretch. But, man, to God be the glory, you all you all went in deep over the span of just a few weeks. We raised enough for down payment to be able to buy that lot. And so since 2020, we have owned that lot next door, right? Now, the one other time thing that's kind of cool about this um, we had a guy at River City who was doing his um, graduate work, uh, Christian Turner, at MIT, and for his, for his dissertation, he led a really wonderful community design process. And so, and again, in the same way, we're bringing these two bodies together, you know, the, the, the church congregation, the neighborhood congregation, uh, there's this wonderful process that went into designing, like, what every space of that lot could be. And we're going to get into some more of the detail of that in coming weeks. Um, but it really turned into this kind of collective imagination-based exercise where we said, like, and so for at every age, like, let's have splash pads for little ones, and let's have basketball court and soccer court for bigger ones, and let's have a stage so that, you know, people can do live performance kind of stuff, and let's have the building in the back for Harambe so that we can do job creation stuff, and let's have a community garden where people can sit and be near nature, and let's have beautiful art on the walls so that people can, like, have their imagination stir, right? All these kind of things. Um, been doing this process, have been doing the prep. Bottom line, um, we're getting to the point now where we're really close to be able to do that. And this is just like a small snapshot. We're going to get into some of these later. But um, again, I feel like that lot represents so much the expression of all of our communities coming together in one place and the before and after of all these. So Sergio, if you get ready to just kind of start flipping through these with me. So these are some of the early renderings, right? So here's what the front of this lot looks like right now. One of the things the community said is like, let's make that front area look beautiful and inviting and have art and uh, nature on it. So ne- next next slide, if you would. And, and you know, so let's 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 have this thing like really say to the community, this is a place for you to be. This is a place for us to be together. Uh, next one, if you would, Sergio. You know, um, let's take this lot that's out there that you know isn't really being used for anything right now in the community. And next one, if you would, and like let's have this be a place you know where you know there can be athletics, there can be sports, there can be kind of common common space areas where we can do different kinds of things during the day. You know, um, you know, again, the stage is mentioned. So I'm going to get into more detail again on these in later weeks, but just give kind of a sense of how it's coming together. Next one, if you would, um, you know, to have, you know, not just this blank wall with cars up again, but in, go ahead, next one. And who knows what the mural will eventually look like. But let's have beautiful art that comes from the community where people feel this deep sense of pride in it. And you can turn those off. Thank you, Sergio. And we're at the point, it just has kind of worked out this way. We have said, okay, it's time now. Um, we had uh, part of the arrangement was that we needed to let Jimmy continue to store cars on this lot through the end of this summer. So we're at the point now where we are ready to go all in. And by as soon as, you know, of course, it's going to be fall and it's going to get cold and then eventually it'll warm up again at some point. But as soon as it warms up next spring, like the second we can break ground next spring, we are ready to go. We are ready to go. 
and by next spring to have this lot, which this this space, which I don't know. I mean, this is me checking out it, but like when I think of the very beginnings of the journey and knowing where God was calling me to and seeing the ups and downs we've had as we've learned how to be a community that can hold space for so many different kinds of people and to deal head on with all the dynamics that come with that, to have a place where we are physically together in this large, beautiful space where the community's there, feels ownership. It's so exciting the way Cameron's excited about this. It's so exciting the way community stakeholders are excited about this. I actually think we're the last group to get caught up. Now we need to be excited about this because everybody else in the neighborhood is like super excited about what's going to happen over there. And so this to me is what's going to bring together the 20 years of history because we could not have done that in year one or year five or year 10 or year 15. Even when we first moved in here, it would have been way, way premature to try to do something like that. We did not have the deep-rooted relational trust with all the different community stakeholders and neighbors here yet to do that. But I feel confident. I would not want to do this if we didn't. This is a collaborative, collaboratively held dream. This is a collaborative held excitement. Um, this is going to be something significant that not only brings it together the specifically the neighborhood, but the folks who feel called to be part of our body as part of their own spiritual vitality, trusting that this is where Jesus is and where their growth is going to be so stirred and um, sped up. And so it's, it's, it's the best of us, I think, from 20 years, but it's also something very concrete, like over the next weeks and through our 20-year anniversary, this is one of the things we're going to turn our eyes towards, is like really rallying towards being able to everybody bring what they can bring in to see this thing come to fruition. So I took way longer to get to this. Let me do one verse. Serge, if you'd come up, um, I'm not going to get into this passage at all now because I took so long. This is from Joshua 3, though. I want to introduce you to, or reintroduce you if you grew up in church. Um, go all the way to verse 3 and 4, if you would. Um, uh, this is when God is about to move with the Israelite people um, uh, and is calling on them. Actually, one more verse. Go to verse 5, if you would. Uh, I think it's verse 5. Yeah. When God is preparing the people, God uses this word. It comes up a lot in the Bible. You see that word in verse 5? It says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Now, I don't know what you hear when you hear that word, consecrate yourselves, but it's an old school word that translates prepare yourself for what God is about to do. Trust God with yourself um, for what God is about to do. God says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. God is going to do amazing things for us. So here's a verse that I'm thinking about going into our anniversary. I'm thinking about the collective invitation from God to consecrate ourselves, to begin to prepare ourselves for what God is going to do in the next chapter. And we're going to come back to this each week, but this is the kind of notion I'd like to invite you into starting this week is to really ask yourself, again, if you've been around a long time, that's kind of one history here. If you're brand new, but maybe this is why God has brought you at this time, is to be part of kind of this next chapter. For us to ask that question, what does it look like for us to consecrate ourselves? To trust that God celebrates and has been with us for these 20 years, but that God is going to do something new and that each one of us can participate in a significant and meaningful way. And so I'm going to just kind of lead us in a prayer to begin that process. Again, I don't see this as the end of this. This is the beginning of this series, of this conversation. I hope you'll be able to be part of it. For those of you who are... I'm going to do an email recap of this each Monday. So if you're not already getting emails from us, let me know and I'll make sure to add you to the database because I think it's really important that we're kind of having this conversation together. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we just kind of begin to think about consecrating ourselves. Aaron and team will lead us out in worship. So good minister, Sonny, will close us out. So join me in prayer, if, if you will, in person here virtually. Oh, God, I'm uh, profoundly thankful um, for the ways you have cared for us and guided us over the 20 years. Um, 
Yeah, wow. That's, I mean, it just feels like a lifetime in so many ways, two whole decades. And so I honor the space, you know, if there's those of us here who have been around since very early on and have experienced so many of the joys and hard parts that have come with 20 years of ministry. Uh, got a lot of folks kind of in those middle times, you know, maybe have been here five, six, seven years. This has become a big part of their story. Got folks who are here that, that have COVID and since they've been part of our church. Folks who are new this month, part of our church. We've got friends of our church like Sonny who's cheering us on and blessing us. We've got um, the cloud of witnesses that is with us both locally and, and broadly. So God, I'm at this point, I'm just simply asking you to kind of to stir our hearts and stir our imaginations to help us locate ourselves not only within this community, but within you, within the, the Jesus who calls the rich young ruler to himself, to yourself, but who reminds him that where you live is with those whose backs are against the wall, that not only is this some kind of moral obligation, this is where you are, this is where vibrant faith is, this is where the kingdom of God is felt in the most present and palpable kinds of ways. God, I know you are inviting every one of us in love to yourself. And that can look and does look a little bit different for where each one of us' starting point is. But we find all of ourselves in that place of being invited by the Jesus who created us and who loves us and calls us to yourself. So God, I love that word of consecrating. I am trying to do that. I pray that we all do that, that we would begin to ask the question, what does it look to consecrate ourselves, to be set apart by God for what God is doing, what God has already done in these past two decades, but what God is doing now. God, this is just a very personal request. I hope that by the time we're done talking about this and thinking about that, there won't be a single person who feels like they're not badly needed, that they have something significant to contribute, that they feel like they are meeting you in powerful ways and participating with you in your coming kingdom. I'm really hoping this will feel like an all-in kind of a thing where everybody is vitally important. So stir our hearts, stir our imaginations, remind us of who you are, remind us of the invitation you lay before us. As we close out today with worship, with the beautiful words and art of Sunday, we pray that um, we will feel you near, that we'll hear your voice, and that we will not walk away sad from the invitation, but instead we'll heartedly say, Jesus, I want more of you. I want to accept this beautiful invitation to follow you and be with you. We lift this up in your name. Amen. So this is where nothing compares to walking through doors to the reminder of the promise of God to voices being raised in unison, all calling and honoring the wonder of the one. Well, we're reminded that God doesn't have grandkids, that everyone is his child. Mm. Yeah. Here is where we lift our students, our scholars, and our teachers, where we acknowledge and celebrate the glorious fact that we were born, where we bless our children to go on their way, but to go on their way in the most holy way, where 20 years is a big deal. A lot of stories and scars and everything in between. Don't believe me? Just look around. There are many who are not here. But this is where we find Jesus and the rich ruler. 
where we extended the invitation to surrender, to sell it all. But then we have our doubts that can creep on in because Jesus doesn't live on the side of the rich. He lives with those on the margin. But we know we just want to live near wherever he is. And it's got to be in at least one of the 77, the uncommon ones, because Jesus loves the uncommon. And he loves the uncommon in a humble kind of way. This is where we can reach everyone, where we preach and teach because there are bats that are against the wall. But that's where you find God. This is the real world, not the MTV one, but the one where we put our roots down in the midst of race and poverty. This can be easier for some and harder for others, but this is balancing the energy through worship, through reconciliation, through neighborhood development. This is growing in trust and hearing the rhythm where we are all called to grow together in a meaningful and life-giving way. We are watching our dreams gain wings and feet, watching our littles turn into our lots, watching our lots turn into love. This is where love brings us to ask, what does it look like to consecrate ourselves? What does it look like to consecrate ourselves so that we can prepare for the amazing things that God will do here where ways are made out of none or out of too many? Where we might, know, we might not know how, but one thing, God will do it every time. Where we are grateful beyond measure, beyond word, over and over and over and over again. If you all could start doing that every Sunday after I preach in your own way, that would be really meaningful. Can we rise together for a benediction? Sonny, thank you. It's a gift to have you. What a gift to your arts and words, wisdom are. Uh, as we get ready to close here, reminder, this upcoming Saturday is the big summer fest in the lot next door. So that's noon to four this upcoming Saturday. So please, please, please come out for that. Um, yeah, excited for that. That's going to be a lot of wonderful activities. So um, let's, let's put hands out together. You know, so often when we think of the invitation of Jesus, we think mostly of the individual invitation that we get. And that's true too. But sometimes it's good to remember that Jesus invites us as a community to respond to his call. So let us together consecrate ourselves, prepare ourselves, listen, ready ourselves for that which may God may call us to do. And all God's people said, amen. Love you all.